goodnewsministriesofgnm.org. It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. By definition, a storyteller conveys events in words, images, and sounds, often by improvisation or embellishment. The Living Bread Radio Network presents The Storytellers with Tony Agnesi. Today, you'll hear a faith-based, inspirational story that's both heartfelt and heartwarming. And now, let's meet today's storyteller with Tony Agnesi. Hi, this is Tony Agnesi, and welcome to The Storytellers. In our second season now here at the Living Bread Radio Network, Storytellers is brought to you in part by CatholicBook.net, and all of our books that we discuss over the course of the show are available right there at CatholicBook.net. Each week on the program, we'll feature a guest uh, with a fascinating story to tell, and we'll share those uh, uh, with you not only on the air here at Living Bread Radio Network, but on the Storytellers Radio and on the Catholic podcasting site, breadboxmedia.com. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, iTunes, uh, whether it be uh, Google Play or any of the others, Stitcher, Slacker, and so forth. My guest uh, this week is an interesting author named uh, Dr. Gregory Bataro. Greg is the author of the book, The Mindful Catholic, Finding God One Moment at a Time. He is the director of Catholic Catholic Site Institute and a developer of the Catholic Mindfulness online course. He's also developed a great course for youngsters. And before he uh, got his doctorate, he spent four years uh, living as a Franciscan friar, and uh, he ultimately discerned a call to pursue family life. And uh, he's now taken that same serving others, and he's doing it now serving people with their psychological needs. Uh, uh, Greg, I'm a fan of the book. I had a chance to read it a while back, and uh, welcome to the program. It's great to have you uh, here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I want to start with, uh, I don't know if it's a small elephant in a room, but a light, little elephant in the room, but every time I mention the word mindfulness, uh, generally speaking, there are some Catholics who kind of, uh, the hair goes up on the back of their neck and it scares them a little bit. Have you found that to be the case, too? Sure. I think it's some small pockets. There's, there's, a, there's concern, and, you know, I would say rightly so. There's, um, you know, there is a Buddhist history to the practice of what's popularly called mindfulness. And uh, if you kind of dig into that a little bit, you'll find that the Buddhist worldview can kind of slip through some of the mindfulness practices that are out there that are not Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I say Buddhist worldview, specifically referring to the idea that there is no self, that we are all one that be all being is, is united, and the idea of being a self or an individual is actually an illusion. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
some of that might sound very abstract, but when you're actually doing the practices and kind of into this deeper state where uh, your your guard is down, then some of those ideas can actually seep in a little bit and and be a little bit disruptive to the soul. So I, I say to those who are concerned, rightly so. And that's precisely why I created the program Catholic Mindfulness because it's founded on an entirely different worldview. And while the brain science may be the same, and it has the same positive effect uh, as far as what the research has found, it's grounded on the idea that we have a Father who loves us, and that's why we can feel safe and feel peace. And so the program helps us to put our our practice, uh, it, it helps us to practice that kind of mindful exercise of, uh, connecting the dots between our emotional life and our faith. Some of the uh, older listeners um, might need a definition here. Would you Would you mind just giving us a definition of what, what exactly are we talking about when we use the word mindfulness? Sure, I think I think probably the older and the younger listeners. That's a question I get very often. So, the you know mindfulness. What it really basically means is paying attention to the present moment, non judgmentally. And what that means is it's a basic understanding of our of our psychology, that we have perception, which picks up on what's going on right now in the environment, typically using our five senses, or even just being aware of certain thoughts that pop up out of nowhere in our mind. But that's, that's what's happening in that present moment. And then there's a secondary layer that we add to whatever's happening in our life. And, and it's what we we're referring to as judgment, or we could say that it's interpretation, or sometimes criticism. So we can feel something, hear something, see something, and then there's the follow-up thinking about the thing that we sensed in the first place. So what mindfulness does is it helps us exercise our focus so that we could keep returning our focus to what's really just happening in this present moment. Instead of going off on the trail of thoughts, the rumination, building out all the stories that pop up in our mind as a result of what's right in front of us. perfect example would be you see a look on somebody's face, and you see them grimace or somebody looks sort of sour, and you might think that they're not happy to see you. And it might be that they just bit their tongue when they were chewing on some gum. You know, the story that we build affects our mood, our emotions, our response people, and, and really all that really happened in that present moment was the, the grimace on the face of the person. Mm-hmm. So that's what mindfulness is, is learning how to return back to focusing on what's happening in this present moment without that extra layer of judgment. It just seems to me sometimes that there, there are a lot of people who... Um they're they're constantly bringing up the past and rehashing old stories and so forth and kind of leads to depression and then you have those people who um, uh, I'm sitting here today but I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow Uh, a good example I was you know in a little bit of a rush and so I grabbed something quick for lunch and threw it down and came into the studios and here I am an hour later I can't even remember what I ate uh, sure. And, you know, talk about the relationship between living in the past and living in the or, or obsessing about the future and uh, this idea of living in the moment and and why that helps us psychologically to get out of those two mindsets. Sure. And I think you know, I think a distinction is helpful up front, which is that it's not a bad thing to think about the past or the future. 
But the thing that's unhealthy is to do it unintentionally. And we have this whole system which is built to protect us. It's our fight-or-flight system. It's technically called the sympathetic nervous response. And it's when we interpret there to be some threat or danger, and it activates a system in our brain that affects our mind and gets us going towards finding a solution. So we interpret there to be a problem, and then we go into problem-solving mode. And this is an unconscious process. It's built into our survival instinct, you know, sort of the animal part of our personhood. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we we don't have to think about it. If you hear uh, some crash, your body goes into alert. If you you feel heat as if there's a fire in the room, you're going to run. You know, these are the sort of instantaneous experiences that we have by instinct. And when we interpret a problem in our mind about being late, or there was a bad conversation I had yesterday with somebody, and it should have gone better, and it didn't. And then you go into that ruminative process, whether it's about the past or the future. We are most often unconsciously, unintentionally running through those scenarios because we've interpreted there to be a threat or some danger that our sympathetic nervous response is trying to solve and keep us safe from. And the reality is that we are creating, constantly creating, fantastical threats that don't actually exist because that's, that's sort of how we're built. We have this what's called a negativity bias. The people who are safer, you know, the safer people are the ones who are always looking through the, for the threat. And, and so this is, again, built into our deep human nature. Mm-hmm. But we, we end up kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because we're, we're coming up, we're, we're pretty intelligent and pretty brilliant when it comes to uh, brainstorming all the sorts of bad things that could happen. And so we end up just spinning those wheels and burning out our sympathetic nervous response so much and, and spending that time solving problems that don't actually even exist and most likely won't. Kind of like fighting ghosts, you know. They're not. They're, there's nothing really there, but we're throwing punches. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. And and that's a great way to conceptualize. If you do that enough, it causes an exhaustion in the system, and that exhaustion is what physiologically leads to depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening in, and I myself have have been through this, where you 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 know you just dragging all day and you plop into bed and you just don't sleep it's almost like you're working harder you know overnight than you did during the day you know it's like you put in another eight hour shift but there's just so many things that race around in your minds and it is so difficult for many people and i say this from my own experience to kind of to kind of clean that slate and um, I know you have some exercises and things that you do throughout the book but is that a common thing that people say to you it's just uh, you know it just uh, I spend the night uh, um, rehashing everything I should have done today or or I'm going to do tomorrow instead of getting a good night's sleep and then tackling it in the morning yeah absolutely I think that you know I think that used to be more of an indication of of a real problem with anxiety of an anxiety disorder unfortunately now it's just becoming common experience for everybody mm-hmm. and you know it's because we're we're moving technologically and and as a society further and further away from the present moment and and 
practically what I mean by that is, you know, because of technology, because of productivity, because of all the things that we can do and accomplish, we're, we're just becoming a faster and faster society, which is getting us out of what's happening here and now. Whereas back in, you know, a few hundred years ago or, or even, you know, even a half a century ago, uh, when a lot of, when more people were, were sort of part of an agrarian culture, you're, you're, you're out in the field, you know, just working in the dirt with animals or with agriculture, doing things that are, that are slower and, and just connected to what's real right now. Even if it's painful or uncomfortable, it's just the things that are happening now. Instead, we're now racing from one place to the next and on the phones and on the computers and, and doing all these things that are disconnecting us from the present moment. So our, we're, our minds are very used to detaching from the present moment. You know, when, when we're in the conversation with the person, we're thinking about the work that didn't get done. And then when you go lay, at, lay in bed, you're thinking about the conversation with the person. And so it's, it's really kind of ironic, but we're, we're, we're thinking about the things that are not actually happening. If we could think about the conversation with the person in the conversation with the person, then when we go lay down in bed, we'd be just experiencing our bed. Mm. <laughs> and that's how we fall asleep. Or you, we've moved away from that. Or you have a conversation with a person, and about five minutes into it, you can't remember a single thing anybody said. Exactly, you're, 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 you're not present. Mm-hmm. You're not present in the moment. The Mindful Catholic is the book, Finding God One Moment at a Time. My guest is Dr. Gregory Bataro. And, Greg, uh, I, um, um, you know, with this idea of, of mind racing and so forth, also comes into play uh, with distracted prayer. You know, uh, uh, many times I know when I sit down to pray, there are some days that I feel like I really got it right. And then there are other days that it's just so hard to get through it because there's so many other things that happen to pop into our minds. Uh, being in a mindful state kind of helps us there, too, as well, doesn't it? Well, 100 percent. And that's, you know, a lot of people ask if I'm promoting some kind of alternate prayer style or how does this relate to centering prayer or, you know, is it, I thought transcendental meditation was bad or dangerous or I don't know. There, there's all these different things. And, and, you know, very simply, mindfulness is not prayer. It's simply paying attention, learning how to be aware of what's happening in the present moment. And I tell people it's going to make everything you're doing better because you can do it with more attention. And so what that means is mindfulness itself is not prayer, but it will make your prayer a thousand times better. When we go to sit down in Mass, if we do a little mindfulness exercise before Mass, then we're going to be listening to the homily and participating in the sacrifice and really receiving what it is that God has to give us there. In adoration, same exact thing. Sitting down to do the rosary. You know, the rosary is actually a very mindful prayer exercise uh, because we're using our senses, holding the beads, saying the words, and then meditating in the mind on the mysteries of the rosary. So paying attention is critically important to doing something like the rosary. The, the, the ability to pay attention is like a muscle, and we have to exercise that muscle. And if we don't exercise the muscle, the focus muscle, it atrophies. And that's exactly what's happened in our culture with all of the technology, is it's, it's allowed us to stop using that focus muscle, and so now it's become increasingly difficult. 
So the mindfulness is only is simply a set of exercises. To it's like going to the mental health gym, and and putting that focus muscle to work to exercise it, so that you can use it more effectively when you go into all these other parts of your life. My guest is Dr. Gregory Batar. The book is The Mindful Catholic, and we'll continue with more on Catholic mindfulness uh, in just a moment here on The Storytellers. CatholicBook.net is your source for all things Catholic. With a large selection of unique items, we are here to serve the Lord by serving you. Visit our local shop in Canton at St. Raphael Books and Gifts, 4365 Fulton Drive Northwest. We are your source for all things Catholic. CatholicBook.net, for 30 years, a commitment to service. Welcome back to The Storytellers. This is Tony Agnesi. My guest on the program today is Dr. Gregory Bataro. The book is The Mindful Catholic, Finding God One Moment at a Time. The foreword in the book is written by Peter Kreef. Um, Greg, we were talking about the, this idea of, of, of being able to zero in, and, and the thought popped into my mind that this whole thing about multitasking is kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, is that trying to juggle four or five things at once, drive a car, do a text message, and uh, and uh, talk on the phone at the same time. Um, doesn't th- don't things like multitasking take our whole mindset in the wrong direction? Yeah, I would say so. I think you know multitasking is a, a kind of a misnomer, and and the fact is, cognitively, we can only pay attention to one thing at a time, and and what we're doing with multitasking is shifting very rapidly from one thing to another, and, uh, and allowing ourselves to try to sort of move that focus around between three or four or five or, or ten different things at once. And so it can't all happen at the same time. So then we're, we're really taxing our, our focus abilities there. And, and at the end of the day, we're not aware of the process. And if, if we're not intentionally choosing what we're focusing on, then we're not really giving any one thing our best ability. And that's what people end up really figuring out the hard way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the person texting in the car ends up in a car accident or, um, you know, even in business, I work a lot with business professionals who they, they learn very quickly that the most efficient, most productive, highest return on any investment to make is when you really simplify and pick one thing to focus on until it's come to completion or move on to the next mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in in terms of mindfulness, I think some people when they when they hear that word, they think of um, of uh, mind emptying, and uh, that's not necessarily the case with a Catholic mindfulness approach, is it? Not at all. It's it's, it's also kind of ironic. It's called mindfulness. <laughs> Just and the people opposite. think it's yeah. talking about mind emptiness, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's no, it's nothing like that. It's it's actually, you know, what what, what we realize and it's why the name is, is accurate, is that most of the time we're walking around with empty minds. We are not aware of what's actually happening in this present moment. And that's the emptiness of our minds. You know, every moment we have 
five senses communicating data to our brain. You know, wherever you are right now, if you're sitting, if you're standing, wherever your skin is in, in a point of contact with the world around you, your feet touching the floor, your bottom touching your seat, whatever that point of contact is, you're, you're, there are sensory neurons communicating that feeling of pressure to your brain. But before I started talking about it, you were not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it now, you can experience the sense of pressure that's being communicated to your brain. So I would say that before I drew your attention to focus on that experience of this present moment, your mind was empty of that awareness. And then when I drew your mind to it and taught you how to focus on something in this present moment, it actually became more full. So that's mindfulness. It means paying attention, waking up to the reality that's around us right now and becoming more and more awake, more and more alive to the life that we're actually living. Mm-hmm. You have a, a little exercise in the book about you know brushing your teeth tomorrow morning. Give us a little bit of that because it really kind of got my me thinking in terms of what's happening right now because usually... When I'm brushing my teeth, I'm thinking about 14 other things, everything other than brushing my teeth. Talk a little bit about how you how do you try to capture that? Yeah, sure. It's great. It's a great example because another another misconception people think, well, if I'm going to start something like this, I have to, you know, have 20 minutes a day to sit down and do some kind of meditation or, you know, something like that. It's important to exercise the focus muscle, and you could do it with everything and anything in your life as it already is. And so I, I tell people, do something simple that you do every day, like brushing your teeth. And then let that be your mindfulness exercise. And when you go to do it, plan on intentionally paying attention to the, the senses in the process. Brushing your teeth, you have a sound to listen to. You have the taste of the toothpaste. You have the feeling of the bristles against your gum and your teeth. You have all these things happening. And again, all that reality communicating itself to your brain through your senses that you could actually be paying attention to. And when you choose to move your mind away from those distracting thoughts, wondering about your day, if you're going to be late, wondering what you're going to have for lunch or breakfast or whatever it is, X, Y, Z, all those different distractions, you choose to return your focus over and over again back to what's really happening right now. That is like doing reps at the gym like doing an exercise, mm-hmm. and you're engaging that focus repeatedly, building up that strength, which then you can apply to other elements of your day, from conversation to driving to to even prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an observation I'm going to share it with you. I may be totally off base, but that's okay. I, I have a couple of grandkids, and they're little ones, and, uh, you know, you, you go there as grandpa, and you roll around on the floor and play games and so forth, and it always struck me that they were totally in that moment. You know, if they're playing with a cardboard box, they're totally into cardboard box at the moment. And obviously attention spans aren't that long, but but they, they, they don't tend to be thinking about uh, dinner tonight or, you know, bedtime or anything. They're kind of right there. And then um, as, as kids get older, we seem to kind of take on these same kinds of, um, of uh, mindlessness that, that uh, adults do. So... Is there something that society brings you to? I mean, is this something that they uh, uh, that uh, 
kids don't um, necessarily um, uh, uh, begin to think like we do in a mindless way until they get older? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great observation. I, I, that's that's definitely accurate. And um, you know, the way I use babies as an example, just in teaching sort of practically what it looks like, and you just described it perfectly. So you know, children, babies, we're born with uh, some some natural mindfulness, and and we're just naturally attuned to the present moment. And as we grow, as we as we develop intellectually and psychologically. And spiritually, we we sort of complicate things and and start to add worry and anticipation and regret and wounds from the past and things like that. So it does become more and more difficult. I think as a society, you know, there is there is a movement away from the kind of environment of childhood. And and I I talk about how you know of course as Christ says we have to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Implicit in mindfulness, Catholic mindfulness, is trust in the Father as the foundation for our peace. And and children have, uh, you know, as, as long as it's a healthy environment, that as, as it should be for a child, their natural disposition of mindfulness corresponds to their their natural sense that everything is taken care of for them. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, when parents provide food and shelter and, and love and warmth, then kids can remain in that state of mindfulness. And if society, you know, instead I think we get into society and, and then it's all about us. We have to excel. We have to perform. We have to be successful. And basically the weight of the world is then riding on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if we lived in a different kind of society where families can make things longer for their kids, where we have a deep sense of God's abiding providence and, and understand his fatherhood and that he's taking care of us, then then we could go to sleep a lot easier at night. Yeah. Let's talk and a little bit about that. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me. I was just going to say, you have a, a kid's book out, and I don't have the title right in front of me, although I've, I've looked through it and actually uh, given away a couple of copies of it. Uh, talk a little bit about that just one in the, in the few minutes that we have left. Sure thing, yeah. Sitting Like a Saint is the title. Uh, sitting like a saint, Catholic mindfulness for kids, and um, basically, you know, my wife and I practice this with our kids. We have we have right now five under six, and so it can get a little chaotic at times. But we've implemented all of these practices and tried to come up with interesting ways to bring them into it as well. And it's amazing and beautiful how much uh, it really can calm them down. And so, a lot of parents have asked me over the years, "What can they do with their kids?" And so. We decided to put into practice, into writing, some of the practices that we use at home. And then uh, we matched it to uh, a simple introduction to the lives of the saints. So we have 14 different saints that we give a little story of the saint, and then we tie an exercise to it. So, for instance, we talk about St. Francis and the Wolf of Gubbio. And so we have the children act like angry wolves, and then Francis helps them to calm down. And we do a little mindfulness exercise in the process, and it can really calm the kids down. So this is a great way to sort of help parents understand the practice themselves and then also give it to their children in, um, in a really organized and practical way. And I know you're developing these into courses that uh, that schools can uh, be participatory in and so forth, which is very exciting. Yeah, we're, we're developing Catholic mindfulness for schools. That's up and coming. So uh, it's really amazing. Mindfulness is taking over in the school system. 
And again, there's not a Catholic alternative to it. So that's the next space that we're going to try to fill. Greg, we're out of time. I wish we could continue on. This has been fascinating. I, as I said at the beginning, the book, The Mindful Catholic, Finding God One Moment at a Time by Dr. Gregory Bataro, uh, a book that I have read and highly recommend. Uh, wonderful. I've learned uh, quite a bit uh, from uh, reading the book. And uh, Greg, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure having you with us here on The Storytellers. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. God bless you. That's our show for today. This is Tony Agnesi. We'll see you again on the next episode of The Storytellers. Enjoyed today's edition of The Storytellers with Tony Agnesi, a production of the Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio. To learn more about today's storyteller, go to thestorytellersradio.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast and hear all of our past shows. And join us again next week at this same time for The Storytellers with Tony Agnesi. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of my podcasts here at Breadbox Media, but today I'm speaking to you about a different opportunity. In September 2020, I'll be leading a fantastic pilgrimage cruise from Rome to the Holy Land, and then on the way back, stopping at the cities of St. Paul, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and more. While we're at sea, I'll be lecturing on the Gospels, history, or mystery. When we're on land, I'll invite you to join me as we visit all of the holy sites, celebrating Mass, worshiping together, and having a wonderful time of fellowship. If you'd like to know more about this pilgrimage cruise, go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. Go to the right sidebar, and you'll see a picture there which invites you to get more information. Go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com, right sidebar, click on the picture of the cruise ship, and you'll get all the information you need. Alternatively, You can call the company that's organizing the tour at 800-247-0017. 800-247-0017. Ask for Farmalong and Ecker's Cruise to the Holy Land. Thanks for listening. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at kaneford.com.